welcome back to Standout Medical Careers, the series of conversations with doctors and healthcare industry experts about medical career motivations, choices, challenges, and fulfillment. I'm Anita Fletcher. In today's episode, we meet Emma Gordon. Emma is the Director of Elective Recruitment. Elective recruitment are experts in building unique and varied career pathways for doctors around Australia. It's a person-centred recruitment consultancy focused on career progression and well-being for all doctors. Before we hear about Emma's work, I'd like to remind you that if you want notifications of when I release a new episode, or if you want to get a free checklist to help you create applications that stand out, go to the Standout Medical Careers website and sign up for my newsletter, standoutmedicalcareers.com.au. Hi, Emma. Great to see you. Thank you for joining me today. Thanks, Anita, for having me. It's nice to be here. Um, I know that you have a wealth of experience in medical recruitment and I'm really looking forward to hearing your insights on how doctors can navigate alternative options if they miss out on their first preference of role or specialty. Uh, So can we start by sharing with our audience some of your story and how you assist doctors with employment options? Sure. Um, So I'm from Elective Recruitment. Uh, We are a doctor recruitment agency. So we just work with doctors in the healthcare space. Um, Personally, I have been recruiting doctors in Australia since 2008 when I relocated here from the UK. Um, So literally hundreds and hundreds of doctors I've placed over the years into various positions in public and private organisations. Um, And the role of a recruitment agency within the medical space is twofold. So on one side, we um, help the hospitals or or our clients to find doctors that they can't find themselves. Um, And then on the flip side, we um, assist doctors to access opportunities that they may not have access to or be aware of within um, their own networks or um, interstate and and things like that. So um, where we sort of come in for the doctor is um, we can give them uh, options that are perhaps uh, outside of their specialty if they're thinking of making a change or if they're thinking of relocating or, you know, if perhaps they didn't get the first option and they hadn't considered something else, then we can advise them on what else is out there in the market. Um, but I think it's an important uh, point to make that we don't work on all the roles. Um, so that's not something that a, an agency does, um, you know, particularly with the non-specialist positions as um, the campaigns for annual recruitment go through the process. Um, if there are gaps identified at the end of that process, then an agency might come in and partner with the hospital to help um, facilitate those um, gaps, or we might help um, outside of campaign so if you know um, term two or term three people have gone off to training or maternity leave or whatever and gaps appear then um, then agencies might be able to help but generally as part of the uh, annual campaigns that's not when an agency comes in to to assist. Mm-hmm. Okay great that's really really helpful. Uh, when we sat down recently and decided to talk about this topic 
It was off the back of an article I recently published about the reality of what a competitive marketplace um, medicine is um, for both training and employment positions and how important it is to have a plan B. Um, what is some of your recommended strategies and tools for people to have at their disposal for when they don't get their ideal role? So I've thought about this a lot, actually, since we last spoke about it. Um, and often it's not plan B, it's still plan A, just a different way to get there. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there are some circumstances where you, you may need to change um, complete direction if you've applied for specialty training several times and you come into the end of that road, um, then it's important to consider the, the other options. And, and of course, there are lots of other options out there. Um, but often I think, you know, it's uh, it's not uncommon for doctors not to get on first time. Um, we, we see that a lot. Um, and it's not uncommon for, for someone not to get their first choice. Um, but I think the, the most important thing is to learn from that process um, and seek feedback. You know, if your application was not successful, um, find out why. You know, what did the other candidates have that um, perhaps you were lacking in terms of experience or qualifications or research or, you know, um, what can you do to strengthen your application next time? Um, and then what can you be doing in the next six to 12 months to facilitate that and bridge that gap? So I think it's crucial to um, speak to the interview panel um, or the consultants who were involved, um, or even your own consultants if you've got mentors within your, um, within your team um, to find out what you can do to enable you to get on next time round. Right. Yeah, it's great advice. And what I find actually, and I, and I love the distinction you made between the plan A and the plan B, because people do have repeated attempts at their plan A, because they've invested so much in that. But the other thing that um, I hear a lot is it's incredibly frustrating for a lot of candidates, because often there is no feedback. Uh, so they're in a bit of a vacuum in a ways. But um, what you said then about so talk to people who know you and get their feedback so that you've got and and potentially talk to other people as well to just sort of try and keep piecing together what is it that I need to, to work on, why aren't I scoring high enough in those interviews? And that's the key, it's to seek that feedback. No one's going to come and give it to you voluntarily. No one cares about your career only you do really mostly um, you know the, you need to go out and make um, um and ask those questions yeah that's exactly right and uh and the self-reflection is really important and a lot of doctors I speak to say you know that they they thought they were prepared and then they, when they went through the process they realized they had a whole lot more preparation that they needed to do uh, so one of my tips actually is for people to uh, really not definitely don't wait until you're sort of two weeks out of your interview to start preparing. Uh, you can be preparing at any time for an upcoming interview. And I also encourage people to uh, be prepared anyway with the messages of information they want to get across for unexpected opportunities that might arise. Um, 
And then there's, of course, the importance of kind of networking with others. So, you know, both of us have met people um, and we still do meet people who've been in these situations. Um, and what are your thoughts on relationship building and sort of networks that our listeners may not be aware of? So I think relationships are obviously key. Um, uh, and I think a lot of the relationships and the networks come before the interview. Um, I think there's a lot to be said for reaching out to the hospital or the department that you're applying to ahead of the interview. Mm -hmm. It shows you're enthusiastic. It shows that you're doing your research and your due diligence. Um, I think, you know, as a, a recruiter, the a lot of the feedback that I get or have got over the years is that um, it's a huge detractor when someone goes for a job interview and they come across as the just want a job, like any job. Yeah. So, you know, showing that they have made an effort to find out about the service, find out about who they're working with um, and, you know, make an introduction pre-interview goes a long way. It's that personal side. Obviously, the clinical part of the interview is hugely important as well. Um, but the, the interview panel wants to know that you, you're going to fit in and be, you know, a, a valuable member of that team. And just by showing interest and enthusiasm for working with these people um, goes a, a long way. Mm, yeah, exactly. And I think it's also for, for that candidate, it's really important to walk in and then it's less mysterious for them if they've seen the setting, they've seen a few faces around and then when they get to interview, they might have a few familiar faces in the interview as well. You know, because it's all a, there's a very strong human aspect to this. It's not about like, you know, just as you said, it's the people, are, are you going to be a good fit within that team? Um, aside from then, you know, the skills, it's not just about your skills and your education They can and training. They can see a lot of that on your CV, uh, but it's, it's those meetings are all important. And I think that, you know, a lot of people are quite successful when they do um, build relationships with people and get to know people and they're well, they've got a good reputation that, that can only ever stand you in good stead, I think, and, and that's something that we all build up over time. Yeah, and, and on the job advertisements, there's always a contact person. Right. Um, call them, you know, say, hey, I've been shortlisted for an interview. I just wondered if I could have five minutes or if you could put me in touch with someone where I can just find out a bit more about the service. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's impressive, you know, it's, yeah. you're taking your time out of, um, to prepare yourself for the interview and showing an interest in, in what's going on. Um, yeah. And I know that the job and the training position is, is you know, really important. Um, but if you're going to be somewhere for two, three years, then it's important that you're a good fit. So showing that um, initiative um, definitely goes a long way. Yeah. And, you know, it's also possible to Google that hospital, that department, see the people who are working there online, you know, read up about them. And, and I really find LinkedIn is an incredibly powerful tool that I think is underutilised by a lot of people and it doesn't mean that you have to be on there every day but you can go and look up okay who are all the gastroenterologists working in Australia or that have a LinkedIn profile and I've, I do this a bit with my clients and say look if you don't have a big a strong network here's one way to start 
you know, connect and, and get familiar with who are the other people who are either doing the job that you're doing or doing the job that you want to do in the future. Because often um, I had a client I was talking to the other day, actually, and she told me about her future interests in surgery and really wanting to develop her uh, robotic surgery skills and looking at doing a fellowship in the UK. And she said, oh, well, no one at my current workplace has any interest in that. And they all look at me like, why do you? And I said, well, go into LinkedIn, find the people who've done that fellowship and connect with them because you've got something in common and they've been through the process that you want to go through. Um, so that I find... And people are generally willing to share advice and, and things like that. You know, if you reach out, I, my job, I reach out for advice all the time <laughs> to, yes. um, to like really senior heads of department professors. And I'm like, hey, I've got this country hospital. They need help. Where, where can I find the right people? And they're, they're generous with their time. These are the busiest people in the country, I think, you know, and they'll still give you five, 10 minutes um, of advice that people are generous yes i i couldn't agree more they're they're happy to help and share information and and if they don't have the answers they will direct you to the people who do have the answer or can, can help in some other way uh so are there any other sort of particular contacts or organizations that you direct people to or just or broadly that's your approach um, I mean, obviously, people like yourself, Anita, um, in order to prepare for interviews and, and things like that and, um, you know, working on that plan A and how to get there. And there may be a, a 12, 24-month plan to, to get there. And um, I think some people are really lucky, um, you know, and they know what they want to do coming straight out of medical school and they want to be a surgeon and they've always wanted to be a surgeon. And, um, you know, they're doing um, PhDs in their internship and stuff just to make sure that the CV is ready. Um, but a lot of people don't know what they want to do and they want to try a few terms and things like that. And I think that's probably where you know you get to PGY3 and you think right okay maybe I'm going to go into medicine or whatever um, and then they need to start strengthening their applications so mm -hmm. I, I would definitely um, advise them to speak to someone like yourself for, for career guidance and how to get there and map out that plan. Yes yeah I think I say that too start early I love having the chance when I speak to medical students because I know a lot of the Doctors in training I've met in the past have said, I wish I knew this when I was at medical school. Uh, in fact, I, I met a, a medical student last week at um, Northern Beaches Hospital and when I said to him, right, here's a few things to think about and always pursue your areas of interest to do those additional activities. And he looked at me with a, a very blank face and said, I had no idea that, you know, and I am just focused on my medical degree and that's as it should be, but also being aware of some of the other uh, requirements, essentially, uh, that are going, going to need further down the track or activities that can are really going to help you in the longer run uh, is really helpful. And uh, look, on the subject of recruiters, in my experience, some people are concerned that talking with a recruiter or being active on social media, such as LinkedIn, might alert their current employer that they're looking elsewhere. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? 
for senior doctors, sure. Um, you know, I've, I've gone through the process, recruitment process with um, consultants who, um, you know, they, they can't let their colleagues know that they're entertaining another position because their own department is short staffed and politically it would be a bit of a, a risk for them. Um, but certainly for juniors or registrars or whatever, all the positions are fixed term. Um, everybody's supporting them in their career. So there is, I don't think there's any harm in connecting with a recruiter to find out what's out there and to be avail, uh, aware of what's in the market. Um, and, you know, it's entirely confidential what you discuss with a recruiter. Um, being connected to somebody on social media or LinkedIn d doesn't really mean anything. Mm -hmm. um, people are famously conservative um, when it comes to, you know, social media profiles and whatnot, um, particularly as they get more senior. Um, you know, they don't want the patients to find them and stuff <laughs> for, for obvious reasons reasons yeah. um but in terms of being in a recruitment network everything is um strictly in confidence anyway so the, there's no issues there and you know part of what we do is protect the uh, doctor's privacy so for example if we were to put forward a doctor to a hospital um, we remove all of the personal details from the resumes including references um often you know not not trying to do it in um, a derogatory way or anything but if somebody sees a referee on the CV and they think oh I know him I'll call him um, th without that person knowing that this person was looking for a job it can cause problems so we just remove that yeah. um, and then we control that process and at the point of uh, referencing then the doctor has the opportunity then to speak to the referee you know out of courtesy and say hey I'm going through this um, would you mind being a reference for me so um, we, we try and protect that um, privacy in, in all aspects as well. Great, thanks. I'm sure people will be really reassured and it's helpful for them to understand what the process is because, you know, you and I can take for granted what we do every day, uh, but people don't have those insights. And, um, and on the point of LinkedIn for everyone out there, uh, you can adjust your settings in LinkedIn so that, say, for example, uh, you can you only allow your full profile to be seen by your connections. So that's how people can sort of control um, that aspect about other people who they're not connected with, say, for example, patients or others. Uh, so they have, we've all got that level of control over our, our, how public our profiles are. So that's bearing in mind as well. And uh, Emma, what do you think people have got to gain from engaging with a recruiter? And are there any downsides? Well, no, I don't think there are any downsides, obviously, but I'm biased. <laughs> Um, I mean, you've got someone who's giving you access to market intelligence and information and um, who's advocating for you and, and your career. And I think, um, you know, particularly as you move up the ladder and you are in a situation where you need to keep things a bit more confidential, like I recruit in some really niche areas and everybody knows everybody. Um, so if somebody was interested in a position, but they wanted to know a bit more information without putting in an expert of interest a recruiter can go to that um, client and, and say I need to know how many consultants there are what's the, sh um, the shift pattern or, or whatever the questions may be without anybody needing to know who's asking so mm -hmm. you can have the full information without then um, sharing your details until you're comfortable in, in doing so 
So, you know, we're very um, clear in, in our approach that we never send uh, anybody's details to anybody without their express knowledge and consent. Um, so, you know, if we are aware of an opportunity, we will give it to the doctor um, and only when they're comfortable in us um, facilitating an introduction, then, then that happens. Mm -hmm. Gee, I wish I'd known that 30 years ago. I can tell you now because I remember I, knew, I didn't understand how recruiters worked earlier on in my career and it was I can relate to that sense of, oh, you know, I don't want my employer knowing. Well, they really they won't know uh, because you've got your ethics, your ethical approach that you're abiding by. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and we appreciate the sensitivity and, um, you know, particularly if you're in a short staff department, mm -hmm. um, nobody wants to think that someone's going to leave um, yeah. if you're already doing loads of overtime, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yes. So, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I'm so impressed with the, your, the way you sensitively understand the situation and, and work with people and manage them. So I think you're a fantastic resource for people to even have a chat with. Yeah. Um, and we can provide not just jobs, but information, you know, um, yes. if you were moving from Victoria to Queensland and you wanted to understand the salary scale, the enterprise bargaining agreements in different um, states and things, we can give you the advice on that. Um, you know, we've got access to partnerships with people like yourself, um, also with financial advisors. So, you know, for, for doctors coming in from overseas um, and they've got pensions and taxes and properties and things, then that is not our realms of expertise. So we call in our partners. Um, we partner with an insurance provider who um, works on medical indemnity insurance, insurance for private practices. Um, setting up a private practice, our financial um, guys can do that. We've got uh, migration partners who can assist with visas if um, if that was a concern. Uh, relocation specialists, um, you name it. Like we 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 can't do everything. Our special um, our specialty is recruitment, um, but we realise that you know moving your life um, from either one state to another or even from across town from one side to the other requires a, a bit of logistical planning. So we we have partnerships in place to help with that as well. Yeah, and that's so helpful. And I think sometimes people feel like they have to do everything by themselves. Uh, so, and they realise it's a much easier road when you pick up the phone and make an inquiry with, with you know, whoever is the best person uh, or organisation to, to work with to help with that pathway. And that's what recruiters do. Standing, yeah. Yeah, we are connectors. Yes, and that's it. Like me, you're in Sydney, but you work nationally. You know, and you've got that really um, deep and long experience across the country understanding what the medical recruitment situations like and and that was a great point about understanding what the agreements are in different states because often people don't really give it much thought a lot of people sign their employment agreement don't really read through it in that much detail they want the job they get the job they're happy with the pay rate off they go and it's only when things are changing that say they're moving state. I can remember my days in the AMA, people would ring and say, look, I've got all this leave in New South Wales. Can I take it to Queensland? You know, those sorts of things. So I appreciate you, you have a good level of understanding about those things. Yeah, well, they're important things um, that, like you say, don't get considered until the, the last minute. <laughs> yes, until you need to know. 
And um, Emma, what's next for you? Would you like to share any personal goals or exciting new projects on the horizon for elective recruitment? Um, wow, I don't know. I mean, there's lots of exciting new projects. Um, you know, we're a reasonably new business, so we're in a constant period of um, innovation and, and change. So watch this space. There's lots of new tech and um, interesting access um, points for our networks. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we'll, we'll be rolling that out to health services and to doctors uh, over the coming months. So. Yeah. Fantastic. And it's great to have you included in our monthly newsletter now with four of the top hot jobs that are going around. So we've started including that. And a quick plug, if anyone would like to subscribe to the Standout Medical Careers uh, monthly newsletter, you can do that via the website. And um, so, Emma, thank you so much for sharing your insider knowledge to help inform our listeners about some of the options and strategies for winning roles. How can listeners learn more about you or get in touch? So, look, I mean, we're open to having a conversation, confidential conversation with anybody at any time. Um, you know, there's no obligation to sign up for um, alerts with us or, or anything like that. If you just want some market intel or you want to find out what's out there, um, then we're, we're always available. So um, our website is elective.com.au um, or if anybody wanted to reach out to me personally, then they can get me at emma at elective.com.au. Okay, wonderful. Well, thanks again, Emma. Great to see you. And I'm sure this has been really helpful to a lot of people listening. Thanks for having me, Anita. I really appreciate it. Pleasure. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Standout Medical Careers. If you like the episode or think it will be useful to someone else, please leave a review at podchaser.com. And if you've got any questions, let me know on LinkedIn at Standout Medical Careers. And remember, the better you articulate your story, the more you will stand out. Mm -hmm.